listening to Law and Gospel on this Rumination Thursday, March the 21st, in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with us on the phone is Reverend Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, and I'm kind of anxious to get to what we're going to be talking about today. This week, the theme has been one that both you and I have heard questions from, particularly parents. How do I respond to my young child who's gone to college, maybe, or even in high school, and is drifting away from the church? We call them nuns. N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, to refer to the idea when you ask them what denomination are you a member of, they'll say none because Mm. they are no longer happy with Christian faith. Now, you and I do quite a bit of reading. I know you sure do because you help find issues for Rumination Thursday, but Every now and then I read something that really makes a difference to me. And in fact, I've even phoned up the pastors who write the articles, uh, complimenting them on what they did. And sure enough, this past week, I read another article from the Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, magazine called For the Life of the World. And it was by Pastor Chad D. Kendall. And it was reaching into the secular world. And I think he really understands how to deal with young people who have these questions. And so on Monday, I kind of showed the way Jesus responds to the questions. On Tuesday, Martin Luther's hymn was tremendous in following this kind of understanding of proper witnessing. Uh, Wednesday, of course, we did the Bible study out of Luke 13. And once more, Jesus was following this technique. And now we're here on Thursday. Now, I understand that you did some work in this area. So I, I wanted to actually give our listening audience some kind of help in how to respond to whether it's a millennialist or a young person who has been influenced by the secular understanding of the world, etc. And you ran across some questions? Well, I ran across an article. You were going to ask me the question. Yes. I was going to respond. Okay. One question I would uh, ask when I'm dealing with a secular individual who has left the church is what don't you like about Jesus? Now, this is from an article that I ran across from one of the millennialists. I'm looking for a truer Christianity, more authentic Christianity. I don't like how the gay, the lesbian, the bisexual, the transgender are being treated in my faith evangelical community. In other words, they don't believe that's the way Jesus treated them. I had questions about science and faith, biblical interpretation, theology. I felt lonely in my doubts, and contrary to belief, I don't go to church for the fog machines and the showy lights. And I find them shallow faith in, in that, and that's how I see Jesus. That's excellent. I'm really glad you found that, because 
I've said now for some months that the problem with those who are leaving the church isn't so much about the doctrine that we talk about Jesus, but about the morality that's found in the Bible, contrary to homosexual activity, abortion, six-day, 24-hour creation, and so forth. And it sounds like she was in a congregation where she had these questions, but they were not really being addressed for her. Right. And she goes on to say that she did find herself a church. She found one that it it has the sacraments, baptism, confession, communion, preaching the word, anointing the sick, you know, strange rituals and traditions Christians have preaching. And as she kneeled to communion, on the one side was her was the grandmotherly type, and on the other side was the gay married couple that were taking communion with her. Yes. Yes. There are a lot of churches, not Lutheran so much. I just was hearing about one that uh, the woman pastor announced that she now had a girlfriend she was living with, and none of the elders saw a problem with that because she was kind of lonely, and they didn't want her to be so lonely and wanted her to have a friend. And that's the kind of stuff that is happening in congregations because they just really disagree with the Christian view on morality, which comes right out of the mouth of God. Right. Now, what was interesting is I followed up and looked at the comments. There were over 1,200 comments to her, to her article, and I read through several pages of it. Probably the one that came closest to, to what we're looking at was those denominations are dying because they teach a shallow faith or a faith that consists of being nice and denies the true Christian faith that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and that the word Jesus bore our sins upon the cross, becoming the sacrificial lamb. And that that seems to be what their response to her was. Yes, what what I'm coming to the conclusion of is when these nuns ask a question, like she was asking about homosexuality, etc., It's best really not to answer that question because any pastor who knows the original Greek and Hebrew realizes that God is against that kind of activity. But I have found that using reason simply does not change their mind because what they have, and this is something new that I'm talking about, is if you ask them, what does Jesus look like? What kind of a face does he have towards you? They'll say, well, he's frowning towards me. And Mm. see, that was actually the problem at the Reformation, that many people thought God was frowning towards them because of their sins, and so they were trying to do as much penance as possible to get on the right side of God and good works, etc., until Martin Luther and other reformers came in and talked about the love of Christ that comes about by his smiling face. And that's what changed a lot of people when they recognized that this Christ is one who forgives your sins, etc. And once they had that faith, then the rest of the scriptures seemed to fall into place. Hmm, so... Is coming to know Christ 
the love of Christ or the smiling Christ. The smiling Christ. And how can you get more of a smiling Christ towards you than he willing to go to death in your place? They were talking in the previous program, Coffee Hour, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Now, you've talked about this before where you witnessed others and asked them the question, well, what was their view of the church or the view of, of God? And you would often say, that's not mine either. Yes. When they finally come down to it, I agree with them that that's not my view of of Christ, that a lot of them have this idea that Jesus is someone who's going to send people to hell because they're sinners, and only those who have either stopped from sinning or are doing better are going to go to heaven. And it's very easy to say, well, you know, that's not my view at all. When I drive for Uber, a number of the people in the back seat often have that view if we ever get into a conversation on God. And I'll ask them about, well, why aren't you attending a, a Christian church? And they'll have answers like this because, and this is what Chad says very well in his article, that what happens, uh, these people have been pulled into the secular thinking of, of the world and therefore, if you try and get that gone by means of reason, they're not going to be able to do it. Well, yeah, this reason also gets into the historical Jesus, does it not, or the historical faith that believes that there is a God, there is a Jesus, he lived, he, he died, he rose, but it doesn't translate into what we call a saving faith into the promises of the gospel, does it not? Yeah, well said. When I uh, was working on my doctorate, I read over a 100 catechisms, and I was surprised how many of them start off the first chapter, this is why the Bible is true. And they mm -hmm. were trying to get you to have faith in the Bible rather than faith in Jesus. And I just think that that's a wrong approach because I can out-argue anyone who is trying to prove a historical statement. Like the Red Sea crossing, we were taught by some professors at the seminary I attended uh, before you know the big breakup occurred that that was really called the Reed Sea and it wasn't very deep at all and the Israelites were able to get across it by walking across the shallow water but the Egyptians couldn't get through with their chariots because they were sinking in the mud <laughs> yeah that's what we were taught and see, there was a denial, therefore, of the Scripture. So if somebody says, well, I can prove the Red Sea. No, you can't, because there's all kinds of other options how this happened. You need to take the Bible at it. Well, really, we take the Bible by faith once we come to faith, is it not? Yes. We take the Bible once we have received the faith of the Holy Spirit to believe the unbelievable. We believe in six-day, 24-hour creation. And then proper scientists can kind of back that up. 
you know, the, the science really proves or helps towards creationism more than it does this ridiculous theory of evolution, you know, that we came from monkeys or whatever, yeah. etc. But well, I, uh, uh, let, let me ask you this question. When she says she wanted an authentic religion, what does she mean by that? Did, did you figure that out? Well, the nearest I could come is uh, contrary to popular beliefs. The fog machines, the light shows, the slick evangelical conferences didn't make things better for me. They actually made them worse. You know, that's a really good point. A number of times I've had people who have stopped coming to the church they were going to, and then I ask them, well, what church were you going to? And I listen what the church taught. And I'll often end up with the conclusion, you know, I would have stopped going to that church also because it's not teaching the Word of God in its purity or administering the sacraments rightly. Right. So, and I think the other thing is uh, not knowing Scripture or what Scripture taught because she believed gay marriages were okay. It, yes. I mean, even with Elka, that's the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America that has really fallen off God's word, where they now have male pastors that are married to each other. They simply disagree with what Paul says uh, about uh, uh, homosexuality, like in Romans 1, and says, well, he was a man of his time, and we are living in a different time where we have a better understanding of these things, and we can understand how uh, people can really love each other, even though in former days it was immoral to do so. And uh, immediately I think of... Uh, you know, adults who fool around with little children, they really believe that they love them also. And yet, are we going to say that's okay today? Right. Well, it really comes down to whose authority do you take your own with your view or God with his view from Scripture? Yes. Yes. One of the things that I'm learning more and more is that every person who is left the church, who may have been even baptized, they do so not so much out of fear of God, that he's going to send them to hell, and so it's a self-defense mechanism, but they have a pain that the church is not able to overcome. And that pain, you really need to figure out what that pain is. And that's why I asked you the question at the beginning uh, what do these people not like about Christianity? And outside of the morality, um, there's really not much that she said that she didn't like about Jesus as a person, did she? Right. Well, she goes on, it fails to show the love of Jesus to all. Millennials will snuff it out. Our reasons for leaving are less to do with style and image and more to do with substance questions about faith life, faith, and community. So, you know, they're looking for some type of relationship with Christ is whether they're getting it or not when they finally do land down in a, in a uh, what we would call maybe a liturgical church or a traditional church. Yes. Um, what the uh, pastor uh, Kendall came to a conclusion I realize that our culture may be favorable toward Jesus, but it feels it doesn't need the church. 
And mm-hmm. that's really interesting. He also talks about something that I've been saying for years here. Remember, every sermon I do, I always like to go to the original languages and find something that the congregation didn't know. Like last night I was talking about um, the Mary at the crucifixion. And when Jesus says to her, your son, John, and John, your mother, Mary, it says they were near the cross. But then later on in Matthew, it says that they were afar off. That's not Mm -hmm. a contradiction. There's two reasons for that. The first is the Roman soldiers may have told them to move back. But the other reason is, how could you stand there for six hours seeing your own son and friend being stricken, smitten, and afflicted? And you can Mm -hmm. understand that they would move back. So I always like to say something. And sure enough, one of the members of the church said, I never realized that, that nearness and that far offness. It it helped me to understand what they're really going through. And he, uh, Pastor Kendall says, I came to find that like myself, those outside the church were not alienated when I would pull out the rich pearls of scripture embedded in the Hebrew and Greek texts. Because I've often said, you can take a look at the English and not understand at all what the apostle is talking about, because we often have different understandings of the words. For instance, when the apostle Paul says we are justified, The way we use it, we get stopped by a policeman for going over the speed limit, and we say, well, I'm justified in doing that because here's my wife, and she's pregnant, she's having a baby. That's how we understand the word justify. So just by saying these words or by thinking that you have really witnessed the gospel by saying, well, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins— That's such a general statement. It doesn't often hit home, and you really need to explain that as to how God understands it. Right. Well, and he goes on to talk about that love, justice, and holiness, and goodness. You know, the world is off the rails crazy. The temple of the speed of information, the level of carnage, myths, broken relationship. We're in a real fallen world around us, and how do we talk about that love of Jesus, just as you just described. Yes. He he talks a lot about the attributes of Jesus, uh, not so much his almighty, etc., but he is kind to people, he is tender-hearted, he forgives one another, and throughout the Greek New Testament, the things of Jesus are described as the things which characterize the church. church. These attributes of Jesus, which come to define the church in the New Testament, resonate with these young secular humanists who struggle to find faith. Yeah, right on. And, you know, the... One of the things that I picked up out of your Monday Bible class, or your Monday uh, lesson on Ezekiel, is verse 11, I thought was was a real gem, that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Exactly. That's followed up in the New Testament. He desires all men... Uh, To come to faith. Yes, to be saved. 
And so that's the kind of Jesus we have. So I'm coming down to this conclusion. There's two ways to talk to the secularists who are asking these questions. You can actually get in the trap that the Satan is fixing for you where you try to answer the questions. And that's by means of reason. And that's not going to work. Even if you prove to everybody in the world it's a six-day, 24-hour creation, the Red Sea occurred, Jesus did die on the cross, he rose from the dead, these people will still go to hell because they're believing the history of the Bible, but they're not believing the promises connected to that history. And that can never come about. So the proper approach is a law-gospel approach, which Jesus uses everywhere. Like the Sermon on the Mount. Look how much time he spends. You know, you've heard it said of old that thou shalt not murder. I'm telling you, you got a bad thought? You got a bad word? That's just as bad as the actual murder. And he really preaches the law. And then he also has the gospel where I am not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them on your behalf and transfer that fulfillment, that righteousness, over to you. Well, you know, it's like we've always said, the, from Genesis to Revelation, it's a story about Jesus. And Walther himself in Law and Gospel starts out that way, that there's just two doctrines out of Holy Scripture, the Law and the Gospel. Exactly. And we need to distinguish them because every religion in the world thinks they're saved by obedience to the law. Only Christianity denies that. Christianity says it's already been completed and done through Jesus' death and resurrection. Yeah, the demand of God is met by Christ, not only in his obedience here on earth, which is transferred to us with the robe of righteousness, but also in the other demand that in the day that you sin, death is the result. And what happened, Jesus takes that death as our substitute. And when you start talking like that, people get a different view of Jesus. And I can give you, and you can too, I'm sure, of those in adult instruction whose eyebrows kind of perk up when they start hearing about the true Jesus. And before long, there are questions that they have well, what about all those children who never had the chance to hear the message? That they, they kind of fade into oblivion because God doesn't answer those questions and we rest in faith that he has an answer, we'll know him when we get to heaven, and it will not bother us. Well said, well said. So this is an approach to young people to focus on Christ what what Bible study does that remind you of? Uh, the road to Emmaus. Excellent. Yes. The two disciples, they knew that he yeah. died. Uh, they had heard he had risen, and they were totally perplexed. And so they had a different view of Jesus than Jesus gave them when he went through the Old Testament books, showing the necessity of his death. I mean, listen, Isaiah 53, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh. Yeah, you know, also later in that same chapter, 
he opens up the Bible and begins to explain it to his disciples the same way, Bible study. Yes. Yeah, that's why Jesus came. Remember, there were a bunch of people asking, you ought to be healing more. And he said, I have come to preach the gospel. And he definitely did the healing because that became a sign that he was the Messiah to those of faith. But his main task was to preach the gospel. Gospel in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. It's just sad as I drive around the country to these congregations every week, I put on about 800 miles and listen to other radio stations that many sermons I hear have no long gospel in them at all. They're rather maybe exegetical sermons or self-help sermons or something along that line. And that's why I believe many people are leaving the church. And that's why with our Reformation for Luther Church, Missouri Center, when we celebrated, our theme was it's still about Jesus. Yes, it's Jesus alone. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Reimnitz, for being on the air with me. I'm Tom Baker, and what we're going to be doing is tomorrow, Open Mic Friday. You may have some questions that you would like to ask about this subject. We'll be glad to take them and attempt to answer them. Till then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.